I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic Muscle, we give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. Welcome back, and hello there again. Uh, Before we get to today's show, I have a real quick favor to ask of you. If you've been enjoying the Masonic Muscle Podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you took just one minute, just one minute, to give me a review on either iTunes or Spotify. It helps me out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member you think would get something out of it. Word of mouth is the primary way Masonic Muscle grows and spreads. So please share, text a friend, send out an email, however you communicate, tell them to check it out. Thank you for your continued support. And now, on to the show. For you California Masons out there, uh, you know what time it is. I'm always going to be asking you this, especially if you're an officer of the lodge, like I've been sharing with you, uh, or someone that wants to help with ritual. Have you been studying your ciphers? Have you been digging in there, spending about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depending on how much work you have to do on that particular degree? Maybe even getting into some of the history of that part of the ritual, maybe the words or the stories that it's talking about, so you can understand why you're saying what you're saying. Have you been digging into the mysterious origins of Freemasonry? Have you been improving your spiritual, moral, and Masonic trestle boards? Have you stopped making excuses and begun to improve the level of your fitness one degree at a time? If not, why not? When would now be a good time to start this improvement of your body, mind, and soul? When? So as you know, I've recently begun to now delve into the different theories of the origins of Freemasonry. And also, I'm going to combine it. Before I share those with you, I will combine some history of the of exercise what was going on back thousands and thousands of years ago there are some things that we have learned over time because uh people like the greeks uh, hindus they wrote about it um the egyptians they and the hieroglyphs in their temples they had stuff on their temples i'm gonna read i'm gonna begin to read though and share and go down memory lane history about the history of exercise. And this article came out in September 24th to 2014. And it's called The History of Physical Fitness. Yes, there it is. The History of Physical Fitness. And it was written by Erwin Lecour. He's the founder of a movement called Mo- MoveNet. And I'm going to begin by just reading the first two paragraphs. 
They're awesome. Primal times, move for your life. From the dawn of humankind to around 10,000 BC, men had a constant voice in the back of their head saying, run for your life, stupid. Here comes the big old freaking saber tooth, run. Physical development followed a natural path that was determined by the practical demands of life in a wild landscape, as well as the vital need to avoid threats and seize opportunities for survival. One's movement demands consistent of a, consisted of locomotion, the manipulation of tools and natural objects, rocks, trees, limbs, etc., and defense. To survive in a harsh environment full of natural and human obstacles and enemies, early man had to know not only how to run, but also walk, balance, jump, crawl, climb, lift, carry, throw, and catch things and fight. We can also safely assume that playful or creative moves like early forms of dancing were performed when bellies were full and predators weren't around. Any idea how many calories we've burned? The strength and mobility of early man was not developed through structured programs, methods, or schedules, but, but rather was forged by the daily instinctive necessity-driven practice of highly practical and adaptable movement skills. Today, the few hunter-gatherer tribes which still exist around the world would have no idea what primal fitness or a caveman workout is, as this kind of exercise remains deeply ingrained in their everyday lives. In hunter-gatherer tribes, everyone had to be strong, men, women, and children alike. Here we see walking, balancing, and carrying all at once. It doesn't get any more functional than this. Neolithic times, crop culture. Starting between 10,000 and 8,000 BC, the agricultural revolution is often considered to be the dawn of civilization. Man's transition for nomadic hunter-gatherer to farmer led to dramatic changes in his physical activity. The numerous demands of growing food and raising cattle meant a lot of chores and a lot of daily labor for farmers. But these tasks were large, largely repetitive and required a very limited range of movement. At the same time, the need for performing a variety of complex movements, running, balancing, jumping, crawling, climbing, greatly diminished. Such movements were rarely performed in a farm environment or were performed in such simpler ways. For example, climbing a ladder is safer and more constrained and predictable than climbing trees. Now he says, you know, 10,000, 8,000 BC. And we, we know if you just go on YouTube or go on Google and punch in Gobleki Tepe, and that's the oldest religious structure on the planet going back to 10,400 B.C. or something, making it 12,000 years old, they, they have no evidence that these people were farming out there. But yet it's the largest religious structure on the planet with giant megalithic stones, these big pillars with uh, ornate murals on them, carvings, three-dimensional carvings, uh, astronomically aligned. So our concept of the hunter-gatherer and all that is changing because of this site and other sites as, as well. Let's move on. Ancient times, prepared for war. 
between 4000 BC and the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 AD, civilizations rose and fell through war and conquest. Assyrians, Babylonians, Egyptians, Persians, and later on, the Greeks and Romans all imposed physical training on boys and young men. The purpose? Preparing for battle. Ancient military training had similarities to the movements performed in nature by our caveman brethren, but with more structure and a different end goal. Young men practiced fundamental skills such as walking and running on uneven terrains, jumping, crawling, climbing, lifting, and carrying heavy things, throwing and catching, unarmed fighting, and weapons training. Civilized populations valued physical culture for sports as well. Records of athletic competitions exist from ancient Egypt. And of course, the ancient Greeks famously created the first Olympic Games. Not surprisingly, these early sports were all based on practical, natural movement skills and were fundamentally related to the preparedness needed for war. The Greeks strove to best each other in running, sometimes with armor and shield, jumping, throwing, javelin or discus, and fighting, striking and wrestling. The images above demonstrate the sports the Greeks trained for and competed in during their Olympic Games. The events concentrated on natural movements like running and martial skills like fighting. Outside of military training and sports, Greeks and later the Romans celebrated the body's beauty and strength and embraced physical training as a philosophical ideal and an essential part of a complete education. They celebrated the idea of having a sound mind and a sound body. Physical cultures started to rise beyond practical necessities to become a means to an end. And art de vivre, remains of a gymnasia, an early version of our modern gyms, antique sculptures representing ideal athleticism. So that was describing a picture that was part of this, part of this uh, uh, article. So that takes us back from the beginnings of what we know of civilization, the dawns of civilization, 10,000 BC, which is being challenged by the findings of Agobleki And we are brought up to ancient times, you know, and how uh, physical exercise, because nations now began to form, or bigger tribes began to form, and they realized that the only way to protect themselves was to train their people as soldiers. And so, obviously, they had to be stronger physically and mentally. They had to be able to walk long distances, fight for an extended period of time, uh, throw that spear or wield that sword, and do it in such a way that the only way you learned how to do it was through practicing these techniques and all this required physical strength training and exercise and of course with that you got tired and you got famished so you need to drink plenty of water and then drink the foods that whatever foods they had at that time which i believe was more than likely more plant-based but if they had an opportunity they would hunt down some animals some get some beef whether it was going to be lamb or pork or whatever it was going to be So recently I've been studying the patriarch theory of Freemasonry, the theory that 
Freemasonry comes from the patriarchs. And this is, this is uh, as stated in Anderson's Constitutions of 1723 and then later on of 1738, I believe, um, where the legend describes that from the very beginning, you know, Adam and then his sons, Cain, Seth, and his progeny, they all knew about Freemasonry and that they taught their kids the science of masonry, geometry, and astronomy. These are all tied in together in the legends of Freemasonry. And in the previous two or three parts that I've already done that I've talked about, and there are things that I'm missing because this is such a wide topic. There's so much to talk about, so much to cover, that I started thinking about, okay, you know, I began to talk about the antediluvians, you know, before the flood. And so the antediluvians, I looked up some terms as far as who the patriarchs were, and then obviously the antediluvian part. I found an article on the, in the Catholic Encyclopedia, and you can find other articles as well. It doesn't have to be Catholic Encyclopedia, but since, since this is their forte, you know, you have, to, you have to begin to study and research where they're talking about and how they're seeing the world. And, and Freemasonry, when this document came out, Anderson's Constitution, and when you read some of the other manuscripts that he read, you know, going, nobody knows how far back these ancient regulations went that he was able to gather, look at them, study them, and then begin to put something together that, that memorialized what he was reading. I imagine some of them didn't exactly say everything word for word, but, but the, the spirit of the same message was being conveyed. As far as the antediluvians, what I keep thinking about is what, what is all out there on the internet and in the, on YouTube channels, the antediluvians, Nephilim, right? the giants. But when you go into, whether it's the Catholic Encyclopedia or even, or even the Jewish Encyclopedia, when you look up the word Nephilim, you're not going to read about you're going to read about fallen angels. And you're going to read about giants. That's what they're going to say. Now, the article on antediluvians from the Catholic Encyclopedia has this to say. And in regards to the Pentateuch, it says, From Adam to Noah, the Bible enumerates ten patriarchs. A genealogical table of them is given, Genesis 5. Their names, lifetime and age at which they begot their succession, successors as systematically stated. The modern theory of the composition of the Pentateuch assigns a chapter in which this table occurs to the documentary source commonly called the Priestly Code, or by abbreviation, P. In the narrative of this code, the table of the Ten Patriarchs is said by critics to have followed immediately after the Hex, hexameron of chapter 1. 
The account of the creation concluded or began, as they maintain, with the phrase, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 2.4. The list of the patriarchs begins, this is the book of the generations of Adam. The thread of the same narrative is said to be further continued in chapter 6.9 by means of the same phrase. These are the generations of Noah. And of course... I think in the second version of Anderson's Constitution, all of a sudden now we have Noahides, and that I believe Freemasonry, Free, Freemasons are, are Noahides. Now, they talk about the number 10, and then they go down the list of who they're talking about, you know, Seth and Enos, uh, Canaan. Malalil, Jared, Hinnok, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. And then they talk about the longevity of the patriarchs. And so we're not really getting in. They're not, they're not saying that these guys were, were aliens or fallen angels or anything, but they're, they're, they do mention that they could possibly have been giants, but not necessarily physically. Just giants in the sense that these men ended up performing such great feats that they became giants, you know, amongst men. That's what they're saying. Also, what comes to mind when I hear the word Nephilim is Bigfoot. I'm a big fan of Sasquatch Chronicles. I've been listening to it since it first came out. And at the very end, people go on and they tell about their encounters, whatever they may be, whether you believe it or not. They go on there and they talk about their encounters. And at the very end of the show, Woody uh, will ask them, you know, what do you think they are? And many of them have said, I believe they're Nephilim. I believe these are part of what we have learned in the Bible. And then in episode 112 or something like that and then again in 140 140 or 143 Gary Wayne comes on and he's the author of a book called The Genesis 6 Conspiracy and it's about the Nephilim and it's about he speaks a whole shit ton about Freemasonry and he gathered he he went beyond he said, you know, in my investigations and in my research, I really had to go beyond just what my Bible and my Bible studies and resources were saying. I had to go and re- research the what the Jewish what the what the Jewish resources and their 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 counterparts like the Kabbalah, their mystical traditions were saying. Then I had to go around the world and so you know, the, the stories of the flood and the stories of giants are all around the world. So I had to get the, get these and put them all together and try to come up with some type of explanation for the Nephilim and the giants and who they were and how he ta- why he decided to talk about Freemasonry. I don't know. I have the book. I've begun to read it. It's a big old thick book. It's like 600 pages long. So there's a lot to chew on. And... You know, from some of what, what I'm gathering so far, he's saying that there there was a 
point where someone subverted what Freemasonry was really supposed to be. Or not. Maybe I misinterpreted that. Maybe I read it and I'm, I'm not explaining it to you correctly. But he talks a ton about the patriarchs, who they were, and again, their connection to Freemasonry. And why does Freemasonry have to have a flood theory? And why does Freemasonry want to connect its origins back to Cain? Not necessarily Seth, because if you read Anderson's Constitutions at the very beginning, they talk about Seth and Cain, and they talk about how Seth was the one who was in charge, or he was the creator of astronomy, or the one who really propagated it, astronomy, geometry, and masonry. And versus Cain, he, he didn't he didn't propagate it like that. He propagated a little bit different. And therein lies what some of Gary Wayne, I believe that's his name, uh, goes into in depth. Again, I haven't read it all. It's a big bite to take out of, you know, your day. But little by little, what I'm doing here. Is just presenting the different theories. So they're out there again. From what I can tally, there's more than 40 or 50 different theories. And I'm going to be searching out there and I'm going to be getting them together and present them to you with some thoughts, you know. And, and as I go, I'm going to bring on some guests with some uh, that have maybe written papers, books, and we'll talk about what they believe the origins of Freemasonry or why they wrote that book uh, when it comes to that part of, or that particular theory as I go down them one by one. And I'll probably be doing more, you know, more than one part for each one. And right now I'm on the patriarch theory according to a list found in the Royal Cyclopedia of Masonry. That came out somewhere in 18, I don't know, 1877, I think, by Kenneth McKenzie. I think he was a 32nd or 33rd degree Mason. Ooh. So, so by you, according to your conspiracy theories, then you know he knows the truth because he's a 33rd degree Mason. And he has a white hat. So he must have known. As a matter of fact, he probably talks to giants every day right before he passed away. So anyhow, that's what I have for you today. If you guys, if any, if any of you Masons know of another Mason that has been digging into this, that has a particular theory or, or found a, an article or a book that you think would help us further this research and shed light on what we're bringing to the table, the different theories of the origins of Freemasonry, please have them contact me at MasonicMuscle357 at gmail.com or have them DM me uh, on Instagram at MasonicMuscle. All right? Do it. Continue to work out. Continue to do what you love. Continue to be among the people that you want to be around. Continue to get those, 
those uh, tidbits that you need every day to keep you going, build those habits. And remember, motivation will, will get you started, will kickstart it, and great habits will keep you going. And you know, if you haven't heard this song, I'm going to share it with you right now. you guys start crying or start trying to write that letter to that girl that you've been thinking about chill out chill out it's not that serious all right i hope you like this this particular episode i hope you guys are in good health stay motivated keep getting out there and keep getting it yes These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom, and hopefully some good will towards exercising. Get out there and get your walking in. Open up your ciphers. Study, memorize, and just do it.